0: No turning back, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back, no with me. Still, I will follow. Don't go with me. Still, I will follow. Don't go with me. Still, I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. Let's do page one hundred and eighty-four. I'm night and day as I walk way for the hand of God in all my life I see and the reason of my flesh is the secret all is this that the comforter abides with me he abides he abides hallelujah he abides with me I'm rejoicing night and day, as I walked the narrow way, for the comforter of with me. Once my heart was full of sin, once I had no peace within, till I heard that Jesus died upon a tree. Then I fell down at His feet, and there came a peace so sweet. Now the comforter abides with me, he abides, he abides, hallelujah, he abides with me, I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk there away, for the comforter abides with me, there's no thirsting for the Of the world they've taken wings Long ago I gave them up and instantly All my night was turned to day All my burdens rolled away Now the comforter abides with me He abides, he abides Hallelujah, he abides with me Well, if you're
1: glad to be here tonight, say amen. 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 Good to see all of you. We appreciate all of you being here and pray that you've had a good day, a good week in Jesus. Amen. Amen. We got some one announcement that I do want to make tonight uh, just to keep before you so you can be in prayer for it. And also, if you're of this age group, you can be planning on being here with us But this coming Sunday. We will be starting our new uh, Sunday school class, the next generation Sunday school class, which is for the ages of 20 through 45 and uh, got a good program already lined up for that. Some good materials on uh on uh, striving together in unity and going to cover many subjects and show the importance of the brethren dwelling together in unity. So you be planning on being with us at nine forty five this Sunday for that. And on our prayer list, uh we got David Palmer and Hannah Heard and also last Wednesday night, I believe it was, or maybe the Wednesday before, I'd put Sandra Deal, Brother Nathan Deal's uh or governor nathan deals um wife on the prayer list but we understand that she passed away and so uh need to pray for the deal family that i had promised nathan i saw him and talked with him and told him that we'd be praying for him but uh, now we just need to pray for the family that god had comfort them through this time of tragic in their life how about your prayer request tonight anybody
2: Uh Anything
1: else On anyone's heart Anyone
0: else
2: Anything else tonight
1: right Wednesday night prayer meeting let's all take these names to the throne of grace and ask God's mercy and everything he knows exactly what needs to be done how many of you in here tonight need prayer we all do so let's come and let's pray together as God's people for each other that God would be with us all Have any missionary offering? Need to get one of your study sheets. You can come tonight. And get that.
2: Must tell Jesus. Jesus.
1: Seven in that red hill. Red limo.
2: I must tell Jesus, listen to We got a bird. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yes,
1: sir, but Leo, brag on him.
2: I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. Amen. Amen.
1: Acts chapter 1 tonight. Acts chapter 1. Thank you, orchestra. We appreciate it. Give the orchestra a good hand tonight, Brother Terry. Amen. Good job tonight. We've been in the book of Acts for a little bit. We introduced it to you and told you some things about the importance of it. And then we looked at a few verses last week and we're going to pick up in verse number three and try to make it through verse number eight tonight. And I pray that these lessons help you in the understanding of God's book and uh, the importance of studying it and getting into the depths of it. I I pray that it will strengthen your faith. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by this book, the Word of God. Your faith will grow in by no other means other than the Word of God. And we're thankful for this blessed old Bible. Amen. Um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll look at our study sheets together and go through this together tonight and and, uh, pray over what we're about to do. Our Father, tonight as we approach the throne of grace, we're so thankful, Lord, that you've given us free access under your mercy and your grace. And Father, tonight as we bow before you and come as your people, how we need you, Lord, I personally need the strength of God tonight. I need it, uh, Lord, to uh, help me tonight to feed your sheep and to do it in a, the, the right spirit. And, Lord, that I might do it well. And I pray, dear God, for every person that's here, that, Lord, you'd please touch them, Lord. Lord, you know every person that's in this room. You know their downsettings, You know their uprisings. You know everything about their lives. And I'm just praying for them, Father, that, Lord, you'd minister to them. Bless our church in a special way. Minister to our hearts tonight by the word of God. And we're thankful for what you'll do in Jesus Christ's name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. All right, let's look at our study sheets together. And we'll go through this and then and then we'll uh, see what God will do. The post-resurrection earthly ministry, and I, I wrote it like that for a reason because The post-resurrection heavenly ministry of Jesus Christ is different than his earthly ministry. His earthly ministry after resurrection was just a short period of time, and we'll learn about that tonight. The post-resurrection earthly ministry of Jesus Christ spanned only a brief time. The moment the stone was rolled away on that Sunday morning, Jesus walked out and went to work. He would only remain on earth for 40 days. And there were a lot of meetings etched on his calendar. There would be meetings with individuals, small group meetings, large group meetings, a short trip and return to and from heaven that he must keep. Also, there were a lot of commandments, instructions, and encouragement that needed to be given that only the resurrected Jesus could provide. The book of Acts opens up with the last meeting he would have right before his ascension. We want to consider the verses in chapter 1 that will concern his showing, his speaking, and his seriousness. And we're going to read these together in Acts 1 verses 3 through 8. It says it like this, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not, Depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father... Hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There are several things that we want to accentuate from this passage. First, we want to consider his passion out of verse number three where it said this, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. The word passion in this text renders a very enlightening definition of the word. In our minds, we may think of passion as only a fleeting emotion that may come and go. We are all affected by things that influence our different passions. The Bible says that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are in James 5:17 when Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra the people thought them to be gods who had come down to them and Paul corrected them and said in Acts 14:15 saying sirs why do ye these things we also are men of like passions like you we all understand what it means to be impassioned about something and we all know what it is for our passions to change At one time you have may been passionate about a certain activity in life like fishing for example. And later on that particular passion was not as important to you. But the passion mentioned concerning Jesus Christ goes deeper than a mere fleeting emotional drive in his life. Used in our text it means to experience an impression made by suffering. In other words, the passion of Christ was something that made him who he was. In reference to Christ, it is used in the singular tense. Concerning us, it is always in the plural because we are influenced by many passions. But the passion of Christ was who he was. It was his life, his singular motivation in life that drove him to be who he was and is. And it developed through his sufferings. I heard a preacher the other day who said, There are two things impossible for God to do. Is it impossible for God to lie? And is it impossible for God to learn? I agree with both of those statements. The Bible emphatically declares that it is impossible for him to lie, thank God. Can I get a witness right there? And the Bible does declare that God foreknows everything and he is a God of all knowledge. Could we ever imagine that we could teach God anything? The second member of the Godhead, God's son, made a choice to humble himself, come into our world, look at this, and learn some things. In Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, the word of God says it like this. Though he were a son, speaking of Jesus Christ, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation and all them that obey him. We as sinful human beings can never fathom the depths nor the degrees of the sufferings of Christ. He suffered as no man has ever suffered or ever will suffer. The sufferings Christ experienced were allowed by him because of his passion. It is a twofold passion wrapped up into one eternal being known as Jesus Christ. And this is his passion. He loves his father and he loves you. His passion for his father and for you drove him to leave heaven, which was something for him to suffer. He suffered through the birth canal of a virgin lady coming into our world, which was completely opposite of his world. I'll never forget in the late 1990s, I believe it was, I went to India and uh, flew over there right by myself 14,000 miles, uh, went, left Jacksonville, Florida, flew into Atlanta, left Atlanta, flew to Frankfurt, Germany, Left Frankfurt, Germany, and flew all the way to what was uh, new uh, Bombay back then. Got off in Bombay, and when I stepped off that plane, I knew I was in a different world. It smelled different. The language was different. The people were different. The sights were different. Everything was completely different than what I was accustomed to. Can you imagine when Jesus Christ left heaven? A sinless, wonderful place. And he came into our world and he stepped out into our world what he experienced. Something completely, totally opposite than what he was uh, used to. He grew up misunderstood, made fun of and mocked. He suffered through a ministry that no one understood. He suffered rejection and ridiculous ridicule. He suffered scourging, spitting, shame, and the sinful ways of others. He suffered and he learned. Why? Because he loves his father and he loves you. It was his passion for you that pushed him every day to Calvary. Every step was a step of passion. Nothing would divide him from it. Nothing would divorce him from it. Nothing would distract him from it. You are his passion. And I love 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That little word manner. What manner, what world is this love from? We've never seen any kind of love uh, like the love of Jesus Christ that he has for us. It was his passion that drove us, drove him to Calvary to die for us. Second thing we want to consider from these verses tonight is his proofs. It says, by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. We've already considered in our last lesson some of the different appearances of Jesus Christ in various settings. Every appearance was more and more proof that Jesus is alive. No one has ever overcome the grave without some outside power making it possible. Lazarus would have stayed in the grave had it not been for the powerful voice of Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth. But the day Jesus Christ died, his body was laid in a cold tomb. For three days his body lay lifeless. Then at the self-appointed time, Jesus raised himself from the dead. In John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus said it like this. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life. That I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down of myself. He was not forced to go to Calvary. He willingly went to Calvary. I have power. Look at this. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. Even when he's dead. He's got power. This commandment have I received of my father. Without any power other than His own, Jesus Christ conquered death. God the Father had promised eternal life to Jesus Christ His Son before the world ever began. In Titus 1, 2 it says this, in hope of eternal life that God cannot lie, promised before the world began. Now that same promise of eternal life is given to those who believe and call Upon the name of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2 and this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. Mm-hmm. Why do the saved have eternal life? Some would argue that it is because of some virtue or morality of the believer. Others would claim a second work of grace is needful to ensure eternal life. But the Bible declares the reason. We're given the promise of eternal life is because Jesus Christ is alive. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, so simply put from these scriptures, it says this, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in you being good. This life is in you doing good works. This life is in your church membership. It doesn't say that. This life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. You just cannot beat the, the truth of that the scripture. The only reason we've got eternal life tonight is because Jesus Christ conquered death in the grave. Amen. Now let's consider verses 4 through 7, his promise, or verses 4 through 5, I'm sorry. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You've heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. A little while before Jesus was crucified, he spent some very precious and valuable time with his disciples. He was preparing them for the things soon to come, even though they did not comprehend a lot of it. In John 14, 16 through 18, we read some of that conversation that he had with them. And he said this, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you how long? Forever. Forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall, look at this, be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Jesus had told them the Holy Spirit, known by many titles throughout Scripture, would come and be with them to comfort them through their tribulations they would encounter after he was gone. Now, Christ is instructing them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them. In the text, Jesus differentiates between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, when we speak of any type of baptism, we're talking about someone being... Oh, I'm sorry. That is so very important to notice and consider from the Scriptures. Normally... When we read the word baptism, we think of water. Am I right about it? We talk about baptism, we, we think about a pool of water. The word baptism is what is known as a transliterated word, meaning that it was taken from the Greek word baptizo. Defined, the word baptism means to fully immerse, to submerge, to cover holy. So when we speak of any type of baptism, we are talking about someone being completely covered by something. Further study of the word baptism from the Scriptures reveals some amazing truths about this doctrine. First, the Bible declares that there are several baptisms. In Hebrews 6 verse 1 and 2, we read these words, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ Let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now watch this, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural. From our text in Acts, there are two distinct baptisms mentioned, water baptism and spirit baptism. As mentioned before, usually when we read or hear the word baptism, we think of water baptism. We all know what water baptism is, and the first time it appears in Scripture is performed in the River Jordan. We read about this in Matthew 3, verses 4 through 6, where it says it like this, And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. I'm thinking about changing the way I dress. (laughs) And his meat was locust and wild honey. I don't know about all that now. Then went out... Have y'all heard that they're making uh, flour now out of crickets? Cricket flour. Cricket meal. A lot of the the biscuits and all that we're eating has got cricket, ground-up crickets in it. I just thought I'd let y'all know that. (laughs) Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. This is the most common baptism mentioned in Scripture, which accounts for the reason we associate the word baptism with water. Also, John Baptist was placing his candidates completely under the water, fulfilling the definition of baptism, which again is to cover holy. This is clearly seen at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3.16. It says, and Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. In the same text of John's water baptism, two different baptisms are mentioned in that text. In Matthew 3.7 we read this, But when He, John Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to His baptism, now, whenever a Pharisee or Sadducee shows up, they, all they do is stand around, observe, and criticize. That's all the input they have. They stand around, they look at what other people are doing, and they just criticize. And that's what John was experiencing with these. He said unto them, <laughs> Old generation of vipers, boy, he was a preacher, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Then we read these words in Matthew 3, 10 through 12. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, comma, and... With fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will through the purge his floor and gathers wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff. Look at this with unquenchable fire. Notice in the text that there are three distinct and different baptisms: water baptism, Holy Ghost baptism, and fire baptism. Remember with the definition of baptism, each one of these baptisms would mean to be fully covered by or submerged in either water, the Holy Ghost, or fire. Some mistakenly claim that the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire are one in the same baptism, which they are not. The text of Matthew bears this truth out. When he mentions the baptism of fire... So there will be no mistaking, misunderstanding. The fire he is speaking of is interpreted literally as unquenchable fire in John's message. So the baptism in fire is aimed at those who will be submerged in the fires of hell. Also to further prove the two are are separate baptisms in the text of Acts. Jesus only names the baptism of the Holy Spirit without fire being mentioned. In Acts 1.5, Jesus said these words, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence, no fire mentioned. These three baptisms are defined in Scripture as being very different, involving the elements used for baptism, water, the Holy Ghost, and fire. Now concerning the baptism of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, the Bible is very clear of the meaning of this baptism. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Word of God says this. says, For by one Spirit are we all... He's speaking of every saved, born-again child of God. Every child of God experiences this baptism. For by one Spirit are we all baptized... Into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all all made to drink into one spirit. If anybody ever asks you if you've ever been baptized by the Holy Ghost, yes, you have. If you're saved, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. When a person gets saved, that individual is baptized by the Spirit of God into Christ, or totally submerged into Christ. That means we are secure and sealed in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 12 and 13 says it like this, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit, of promise second Corinthians 1: 21 and 22 the scriptures go on to say it like this now he which establisheth us with you as Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit where in our hearts Ephesians 30. and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed, Unto the day of redemption. At the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit completely immerses the believer. Into Jesus Christ and seals him with himself forever. To further describe this baptism Paul writes in Romans. Chapter 6 verses 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Some would erroneously read water baptism into a passage such as this one. That's the water baptism syndrome that we suffer from. When it is clearly talking about a spiritual baptism, That the Spirit of God accomplishes in every believer. Water baptism does not place anyone into Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. After salvation, when a believer is baptized in water, it is a picture of what the Holy Spirit spiritually accomplishes in every believer at the moment of salvation. Water baptism pictures our old life being buried under the water with Christ, and we're raised to a new life in Jesus. Water baptism is a believer's personal witness of their identity with their Savior. And I want to emphasize this tonight so you never get uh, confused about this. When someone gets saved, they are spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. So then we tell them what you need to do is now follow the Lord Jesus Christ in, in water baptism. Does water save anybody? No. What is that? That is a picture of what happened the day we got saved. I, I explain it like this. I take a candidate, somebody that's saved, and they say, I want to get water baptized in water. So we go up in the pool. We put them under now, if I left them under the, that water, what would happen? They would die. It's a picture of being buried in Christ to the old, the old man, the old life. But we don't leave them under there. We might wait till the last bubble comes out, but we don't leave them under there. Then we pull them up. What is that picture? Being raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. That's all water baptism. It is a personal testimony especially to the church that you're identifying your life with Jesus Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the only baptism that saves someone's soul. Without this baptism, no one is saved. Romans 8 9 could be no clearer. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Showing that there's only one baptism that saves, the Bible says it like this, in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, there's one body, one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. Look at this, one baptism. How many, how many baptisms have we looked at so far? We've already looked at three water the holy spirit and fire but he says there's only one baptism that matters and that's the the one that we're talking about the one of the spirit so there's only one baptism that saves the holy spirit baptism but there are many different baptisms with each playing a different function now lastly we want to consider his power verse 8, he says this to those disciples, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus had told his disciples an amazing truth about himself after his resurrection. In Matthew 28, 18, he said this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Anyone knowing Jesus Christ believes that truth about their Savior. Even though we are living by faith and have never seen Jesus Christ, we have witnessed His amazing power working in our lives. It is His miraculous power that saves and transforms a sinner into a saint. If you're saved tonight, you are a sitting miracle of Jesus Christ. You're a saved miracle of Jesus. Charles Bradloff was an outstanding atheist in England. Down in one of the slums of London was a minister by the name of Hugh Price Hughes. All London was aware of the miracles of grace accomplished at his mission. Charles Bradloff, challenged Mr. Hughes to debate with him the validity of the claims of Christianity. London was greatly interested. What would Mr. Hughes do? He immediately accepted the challenge and in doing so added one challenge of his own. Hughes said, I propose to you that we each bring some concrete evidence of the validity of our beliefs in the form of men and women who've been redeemed from the lives of sin and shame by the influence of our teaching. I will bring 100 such men and women, and I challenge you to do the same, he said. If you cannot bring 100, Mr. Bradlaugh, to match my 100, I will be satisfied if you will bring 50 men and women who will stand and testify that they've been lifted up from lives of shame by the influence of your atheistic teachings." If you cannot bring 50, then bring 20, people who will say, as my 100 will, that they have great joy in a life of self-respect as a result of your atheistic teachings. If you cannot bring 20, I will be satisfied if you bring 10. Nay, Mr. Bradleff, I challenge you to bring one, just one man or woman, who will make such a testimony regarding the uplifting of your atheistic teachings. Again, London was stirred. What would Mr. Bradliffe do? And that Sir Charles Bradliffe, with great discomfiture and jargon, publicly withdrew his challenge for the debate. This unbeliever had no evidence. The Christian had the witness. Now Jesus will transfer and share that same power with his followers. And this power is purposeful. Jesus wants us to tell other people wherever we go about him. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jesus said. Oh, how we who are saved need to understand this simple and yet most neglected truth of the gospel. Jesus wants you to tell others about himself. The word witness is a very interesting word of study in scripture. It comes from the word martyrs meaning a martyr. This transforming power that Jesus talks about us receiving is one that places us on a path of death to self while at the same time witnessing the life of Jesus Christ. As we walk throughout our days, we should be on a mission, a mission that dies to our selfish ways and devotes ourselves to walk, talk to people about Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus saved you and is keeping you here. He has given you His power to be His witnesses. And we read about it in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 where He says it like this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience... Whereas they speak evil of you, and they will, they'll make fun of you. They may curse you. They may tell you to get out of their way. They may tell you, I don't want to hear that. They may slam the door in your face. They may speak evil of you as evildoers. They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. What does He want us to do? Utilize that power to tell others about the saving power of jesus christ and all of god's people said amen amen y'all enjoy that tonight learn anything did you good 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 that's that's my purpose so that you might learn let's all stand tonight